helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now, I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dylan Toit, who is director of the Plum Creek Literacy Festival in Seward, Nebraska with Concordia University. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dylan. Welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you. So tell me a little bit about you. Um, I currently direct, as you said, the Plum Creek Literacy Festival at Concordia University, and it is an annual event, um, started 25 years ago uh, as a one-day event with one author and about 200 participants, and uh, in 2019, after 24 years, we had uh, over 15,000 participants and um, we had uh, um, 16 authors join us. Uh, people from all over the country came for the Adult Professional Conference. And um, it's gone from one day to three days with multi-sites and multi-events. And we're continuing to um, build and expand and grow the programming. That sounds spectacular. And I also understand that you're a PhD candidate in literacy instruction and assessment. Correct. I'm about to conduct my uh, research uh, through Walden University, um, where I am a candidate. And I am looking at uh, novice teachers and their um, abilities to use assessment data to inform literacy instruction practices. So for our listeners, what would that look like in the active world? Sure. So, so yeah, <laughs> put, it in, put it in simple terms. Um, so uh, teachers take, uh, give assessments for different purposes, uh, essentially to gather data. So if we have a child in a classroom who is learning to read and a teacher takes a one-on-one -on -one assessment with them. And the one-on-one -on -one assessment reveals that this child uh, is struggling with um, uh, blending words together. Uh, it is on the teacher to use that assessment data and say, I am going to target uh, my instruction for this student to work on blending words. And perhaps this teacher notices this trend for the whole class, then the teacher uh, it should tailor the instruction so that the whole class then is working on improving blends. Maybe the teacher notices it's uh, a problem with a small group and the teacher uh, might work with that small group to uh, improve that specific skill. 
absolutely fascinating. So if I hear you right, essentially what you do is you develop the instruments, the assessments that allow the instructors, the teachers who are already, you know, very, very burdened. So must, so they must really love tools like this that allow them to streamline their approach, target the students that are in need of assistance and actually dedicate their efforts to that population. Right. I don't develop any of the tools. They already exist. It's just a matter of the teachers knowing that they exist and knowing how to connect them with the readers. That's fascinating. And can you give us an example other than the, the, you know, the idea of blending words and being able to target that population? Can you give us another example? Let's say a, a target skill that a second grade classroom was working on was making predictions about a text and uh, a small group uh, or a, uh, a teacher gave an assessment. Um, maybe it was a verbal quiz or something like an exit ticket, very informal. And it revealed that these students were not able to um, accurately, I wouldn't say accurately, were not able to, did not have the skills to um, make predictions about a text, which we know is a critical comprehension skill. So then that teacher would say, okay, how can I help these students better make predictions in their texts? What resources are there? Um, and so this teacher may um, look to their professional library and, and find uh, extra um, support for making predictions. They may look for men, what we call mentor texts, and those are books that the uh, instructor can work directly with the whole class or a group of students or an individual student and work with them one-on-one -on -one and say, and even model for them, okay, this is how I made a prediction here. Let, let's see you try it on the next page. And they work together and sort of um, work around the gradual, uh, release of responsibility model, which is the, the first starts off with the teacher does it, and then as the teachers and students do it together as practice, and then the teacher releases it and the students do it on their own. And a lot of times people think of that as a linear process, as once the students are on their own, it's finished. But we know it to be more of a circular process in that we need to come back and we need to see, okay, they've made predictions. Now, where do I go from here? Do I start the circle over uh, with continuing working on predictions or do I target a new skill now because it seems that they've mastered the, the making predictions skill? That is absolutely fabulous. It sounds very much what we like what we call in the world of psychology scaffolding, where exactly. you give give the support, you watch it go to the next level, you give the support, you watch it go to the next level, you backtrack if you need to. Very much a careful, mindful approach, isn't it? Yes, very much so. Ah, uh, so what, what, what made you interested in this arena? I kind of started off um, at Concordia University. Um, I had the chance to work with some pre-service teacher educators and um, thinking about my own experiences as a first year teacher and a novice teacher, even in my first couple of years, 
And seeing that there was such a disconnect between um, an understanding of the notion of what good literacy practice is. And there's so much, um, people are so passionate about one way or the other way. And what we've, nationally, it seems we've become so enamored with test scores. And really the test scores, um, they give us data and they give us numbers, but unless teachers are doing something with that, they're, they're pretty useless. Okay, so let's say the class, 60% uh, of the second grade class um, does not master the skill of making predictions. Well, we're doing them a disservice if we continue on to the next skill and leave those 60% behind without getting them caught up because that is another skill that leads, that is part of a skill that leads to being able to make inferences, which is drawing conclusions about not what is in the text, but what is not in the text. And so they are stuck here at this point of not being able to make predictions. Uh, and meanwhile, everybody else is moving on and we see test scores drop and we see the system as a whole kind of buckling. And um, the more I researched it, it was evident that um, veteran teachers, uh, more experienced teachers in the field, a lot of them, um, we, their perspectives, you can read the body of research, they feel like they don't have administrative support or professional development support or resource support. So we know, so if they say, yes, I should be using the data, but I'm not, we know it's because they feel like they don't have the support. Okay, what about the novice teachers? What do they have to say? What's their reason for using or not using the data? And how can we kind of make this cohesion uh, to make sure we're all on the same, we're, we're never, we're probably never all going to be on the same page, pardon the pun there, but um, <laughs> yeah, we, can, uh, we, can, we can, I believe that there are steps that we can take towards um, improving the system. And you know, they Absolutely, always I agree with you because Research continues to show that teaching to the test, right, focusing on getting those test scores only teaches our children to take in information and regurgitate that information, which they tend to forget as soon as that test has passed. And yeah. so it sounds like you are really a proponent of true literacy, which means understanding, reading the information, taking it in, understanding it and being able to extrapolate from that information to other areas of life, a true learning process. Right, and you said it so well, you know, we don't want them to be, you know, simple robots where we input a piece of information into them and we expect output. We want it to soak in. We want them to think critically about it. We want them to make decisions and say, okay, I've, I now know this. What am I going to do with it? And I think that, um, that uh, literacy is, 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 you know, it's a fundamental skill, but it leads so easily into building empathy and critical thinking skills and um, essentially um, the ability to distinguish, you know, okay, I, you know, I read this in the news. What are the skills that I have that I can determine? Is this a trustworthy source or not? 
what should I do with this information after reading it? Should I take action or not? Uh, how does this make me feel about the people that I read about in this article? And what am I going to do about it? And so we are not only creating readers, we're creating um, through, through um, the, the development uh, or through critical reading of text, we're on the road to making more students who are more prone to show empathy and um, critical understanding of society and the information that gets put into their um, minds through the media and through um, other sources. And I really love, I, I really would like to emphasize the two pieces of what you were saying. I mean, there's so much that you were saying, but two particular pieces. One is the importance of critical thinking mm -hmm. in the learning process, which often doesn't occur, right? That's a skill that we learn. And so I'm so glad you're bringing that up as an important skill as part of literacy. I also really just so appreciate that you're bringing up the idea of empathy and how because we don't often think of literacy as a an avenue toward greater empathy could you talk just a little bit more about that piece sure yeah so uh, uh, literature truly opens the door to reading about uh, the the experiences of others currently and in the past and if i'm constantly surprised myself uh, these days, I pick up a book myself and I hear, I'm reading about an event that happened 50 years ago for the first time and I feel myself getting angry and um, like angry at the situation, but also angry at how did I, nobody ever teach me this before and it, um, how was I so ignorant and it, uh, um, it, you know, reading about the past really shapes our view of where we are now and where we have the potential to go. And uh, books are the best ways often for people to tell the stories of the past and for us to get some sort of understanding of them, what humans experienced, how we got to where we are and how that can shape the way of, of what, how we think about where we wanna go from here. And I think that it's so easy to uh, go into a classroom or even in the home and pull out happy stories from the library shelves. And those are good and fine, but if we aren't balancing it with texts that make students and children think about um, other people and events in the past, we're not really doing them any favors. We're just kind of setting them up to think, well, I'm, I have a great life. I have, the world is great. Uh, well, you know, that's okay. But also you should know that there are people that are experiencing these injustices. There are people who have gone through this in the past. There are people that had to work to, to make these things possible in society today. And so it, it just opens so many doors. Absolutely. And I love that piece where if we use reading as a springboard to being able to truly be empathetic, right? Jumping into somebody else's shoes, seeing things from another vantage point, whether it's 500 years in the past, 3000 years in the past, you know, 
10 years in the past or maybe even 10 years in the future, right? Mm -hmm. It is that idea of getting outside of our own box, whether it's a happy box or a not so happy box, right? And being able to see things, to experience things from another perspective and reading, oh my goodness, what it does for us in that way, doesn't it? It's good to push us out of our comfort zones and think about uh, life as others may experience it. Absolutely. Um, well, I'd like to just say one thing about uh, with with um, some papers that you sent me beforehand. Your favorite quote, um, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, and as long as ever you can. John Wesley. I think that's just such, it's one of my favorites as well, but it seems to suit you very well. Thank you. <laughs> that really is touching, but I just, that's, when I think about my work, whether I'm on the job or whether I'm um, volunteering or doing um, other uh, things for the community, uh, it's just a good, good motivator. Uh, people need our help, especially now more than ever. Thank you so much, Dylan, for sharing your time with me. Um, I would like to ask you, where could our guests find you? Uh, you can find me um, on Twitter, and uh, my Twitter handle is at D-Y-L-A-N-T-E-U-T, or you can find my contact information through uh, the Plum Creek Literacy Festival website, and that is www.cune.edu slash P-L-U-M-C-R-E-E-K. Wonderful, and I'll just spell your name because although it's pronounced Dylan Toit, it is D-Y-L-A-N-T-E-U-T, Dylan Toit. So, Thank you once again, Dylan. It has been such a pleasure to share time and energy with you. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com where you will find our Habit Hub blog as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. We talk together, learn together, play, work, eat together.